An amazing thing happened one day out in the desert. There was a man who some called a prophet, and he started to accumulate quite a few followers. A lot of people were loving what they were hearing from this man. And the crowds were getting larger and larger, but suddenly his crowds got much smaller. And some of his followers ran up to him one day and they said, you're not going to believe this, but some of your followers have left you and they're going after this other prophet. His name is Jesus. What are you going to do about it? The prophet's name was John the Baptist. And some of you know what he said when his followers came to him with this urgent problem. It's written in John 3, verse 30. John the Baptist replied to this problem by saying, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's how John the Baptist responded to what may have been a little bit of a temptation in that moment. John the Baptist might have suddenly gotten a little territorial and said, how do we get those guys back? But instead, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist knew that life and ministry is not all about me. It's about God. It's hard to remember that in a world like ours because we have a tendency in our human, fleshly, idiosyncratic nature to make things all about us. I want to just show you, I was thinking about this this week, and I started thinking about the way our culture has progressed just in one tiny little slice of culture, magazine covers. I pulled together some magazine covers from over the years. Look with me. Way back in the day, we had Life magazine. You see that one there at the top? The topic was life itself. We got a little bit more specific with Time magazine. Now we're kind of on the ground, Time. But what happens in Time? Well, there's, there's people, okay? And now we're starting to focus a little bit more on people, but not just people specifically, us, right? See the progression we're going in? But why read about us when I can focus on myself? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? But let's be honest, who reads magazines anymore? We've gone from lifetime, people, us, to self. Now we're just all on our iPhones. <laughs> Am I right? The ones who laugh the loudest are the most guilty. I'm looking at you, Eric. <laughs> we have this thing in our nature that wants to make it all about us. John the Baptist resisted that temptation by saying, He, Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. And Paul and Barnabas, in our reading today, were faced with the very same temptation. And they made the same choice that John the Baptist makes, and they give us instruction, O oh, selfish ones like us, in how to resist the same temptation, how to exalt God even while we minimize our own selfishness. So let's look at what happened in today's story. We'll begin with verse 8, just for some background, for some setting, to set the scene. Read along with me if you have your Bible still open. This is Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. 
Now, we've been reading Acts all summer, so this story should probably sound familiar to most of us. It's another healing in Jesus' name. We saw it take place in the temple in Jerusalem, and it upset the local authorities there. We've seen it take place in and around the locale of Jerusalem, but here we're in Lystra now. We're outside the provincial area of where Judaism was dominant, and now we're in the larger world where people worship the Greek and Roman gods. It's the same story, a healing in Jesus' name, but now it's happening in larger culture. So it's almost like the writer of Acts, his name was Luke, is telling us, let's watch to see what happens when this Jesus movement, this healing in Jesus' name, begins to happen outside of the area of Jerusalem. What will happen with this Jesus movement in a place where other gods are worshipped? So let's see what happens. We pick up our story in verse 11. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They're pretty impressed. Now what I find interesting about this phrase that they have proclaimed, the gods have come down in the likeness of men, I find it interesting that they're actually half right. Because God had come down in the likeness of man, in the person of Jesus Christ. It tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus was in very nature God. But then he became in very nature a servant, a man like you and I. He was fully God and fully man. So these Greek observers are half right. They see a healing in Jesus' name and they see Paul and Barnabas and they say, the gods have come down in the likeness of men, but they're also half wrong. Let's continue reading in verse 12. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So they immediately attribute their own gods, the gods of their creation, they attribute this miracle that they had seen to those gods. You see, they're half wrong too. They missed that it was Jesus who healed the man. And then something really remarkable happens in verse 13. The priest of Zeus, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. This is quite a coup. Paul and Barnabas walk into town and almost immediately the crowds and even the religious leaders turn their hearts from the gods they were worshiping to Paul and Barnabas. It's amazing when we don't know the living God, when we don't know the true gospel, we'll worship anything. See? They had been worshiping in these temples made by human hands. We're going to hear more about that next week in Pastor Heather's sermon. They had been worshiping these temples made by human hands and these gods made by human hands. And then they saw one miracle, a crippled man walking, and suddenly their hearts shifted immediately to worship Paul and Barnabas, assuming that Zeus and Hermes were in their midst. And even the priest, can you just imagine for a moment if you saw Pastor Heather and Pastor Nathan suddenly bowing down and worshiping some visitors that came to our church who did one little trick and we were genuinely worshiping, wouldn't you be confused and concerned for us? I hope you would. (laughs) You might wonder 
You might not wonder what was so compelling about that miracle. You might wonder what's wrong with our hearts. That's what this exposes. You see, we human beings will worship anything if we don't know the one true living God, this priest whose job it was to point people to Zeus, suddenly shifts his affection and his worship and his attention to Paul and Barnabas. We have this tendency, we human beings, to put people on pedestals sometimes. When we don't know the true living God, we'll worship things of our own creation, we'll worship leaders in our midst, as the magazine cover progression shows us, we'll even worship ourselves. We'll put ourselves on the throne of our hearts. So this scripture then shows us that's, so that, that's the problem with the human heart. This scripture then shows us what's the solution. For the Christ follower, what's the solution? What do we do when we recognize this tendency in us? To elevate, to worship things that are of our own creation, even leaders in our midst. Well, we posture our hearts in alignment with John the Baptist. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. The first step of that is we must decrease. We must decrease. It's not all about us. That's what Paul and Barnabas do. Let's pick up the story now in verse 14 to see how they will respond to these people who are so ready to worship them, to put them on the pedestal. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. When you tear your garments in the ancient world, you're showing that you're grieving deeply. I must decrease. You see, they're so saddened by this. They tear their clothes as if to say, If we were gods, would we tear our clothes? Would we grieve about this? And they say, we're just like you. We are men of the same nature as you. See what they're doing? Just like John the Baptist, they're saying, I must decrease. And I kind of wonder in this moment, if Paul and Barnabas, maybe, in their flesh, had a little tiny half second of temptation. Just imagine it. They've just done this miracle in Jesus' name. Suddenly the crowds are saying, we worship you. Was there, I don't know, was there a little tiny second of, you know? <laughs> hey, hey, Barnabas, we could stay here in Lystra. This could work out pretty well for us. I kind of doubt it, actually, for Paul and Barnabas, because their, their response, at least according to this telling of the story, seems so immediate. They, they tear their clothes. It seems that this decision to decrease themselves happened long ago. It seems to have happened long ago when they were beginning in their faith and their participation in the Jesus movement. They knew it was all about Jesus then. You see, in their hearts, they knew it wasn't about them. So when the temptation came to them of being worshipped, they were immediately able to tear their clothes and say, no, we must decrease. I think this decision was made long ago because it was anchored in their hearts already. This can be a lifelong process for all of us to recognize that it's not all about us. I'm learning this as your pastor, that ministry is not all about me, that life is not all about me. I remember back in college when I hadn't learned it as much as I am learning it now, 
Most of you know I was involved in theater and I experienced some success on the stage. And what happened is I began really relying on the praises of man. I remember I would do a show, I would you know, play a part or whatever, and I would feel really good about my performance. And the show would, would wrap up and we'd bow at the end and I'd go into the changing room and change out of my costume, put my regular clothes back on. And I loved going out into the foyer of the auditorium because I got so much praise. Nathan, you were great. I genuinely loved it, and part of my self-worth relied on that. I remember in college, I used to just float home. I'd walk across the quad and just float to my dorm, feeling so awesome. (laughs) But I remember one time where, for whatever reason, I kind of bombed on stage. I didn't, didn't have a good performance. And I remember getting done with the show, going to the changing room, changing out of my costume, putting on my regular clothes, and I was walking out towards the foyer of the auditorium, and I remember cracking the door open a little bit, and I saw all the people gathered there, and I feared that I wasn't going to get praised. And I allowed that door to shut, and I went out a different exit of the auditorium, and I walked home to my dorm. And for a few days, I felt kind of crushed, because I knew I wouldn't be praised. Some of us live that way, where we, we feel good about the praises of man, and we feel terrible when the praises aren't there. You see what we've done? The same thing as these Lystran people. We've created a God of our own fabrication, and we put all of our hope in it. Usually the God of our own fabrication is some version of ourselves. And when it gets praised, we're happy, and when it doesn't, we're sad. We talk about this as preachers on the preaching team. I was talking about it with Lance a couple of years ago, and he preached a sermon and he got a negative comment afterwards. Those do come. You remember those, Neely, every once in a while? <laughs> and Lance was just feeling crushed. He was taking it really personally. And, and I had this aha. I think it was an insight from the Holy Spirit. And I said, Lance, you know, if you think about it, if you take the negative comments this personally, you might be taking the positive comments too personally, too. Meaning, our self-worth does not depend on our performance in the pulpit. Now I'm learning and Lance is learning and all of us are learning that if we have a great sermon, if we have a great ministry performance and somebody says, that was awesome, that changed my life, we can say, glory to God. He gave us that word. He gave us this word. He gave me the voice to just simply stand here and point it out to you. It's all God's. And if I have a bad sermon, if I bomb in the pulpit, If I don't get the praises of man, guess what? I can give that burden to God too. In both cases, I'm giving it to God. Both the victory and the defeat because it's not about me. And your work and your ministry is not about you either. We must decrease. And the second half of that equation is so that he might increase. So Paul and Barnabas spend the whole rest of the story doing. They've, they've decreased themselves. They've torn their robes. They've said, no, we're just like you. And then they start exalting, lifting, increasing the living God. Let's pick up the story now, halfway through verse 15, where we left off. He says, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I just want to pause right there. It's, it's interesting to me. We bring you good news. That word good news is evangelion. That's a Greek word. It simply means the gospel or the good news. You may not know this, but Hermes was considered the Greek messenger of the gods. He would come and bring good news on behalf of the gods. And so Paul and Barnabas have just been called Zeus and Hermes, and they say, oh no, we have the actual good news, not the news that your false god would bring. And then he continues in verse um, 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Remember, they had been called Hermes and Zeus. Do you know who Zeus was the god of? The god of the storm. So they thought Zeus supplied the rains and therefore the good things, the crops. You see, they said, no, we're not the messenger, but we have the good news. And we're not Zeus. And Zeus didn't send you those rains. The living God did. He is the one we worship is what they're really proclaiming here. We're not Zeus, we're not Hermes. Stop elevating us and start exalting the living God, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, the observers, the worshipers in Lystra, they were worshiping something, and they had ascribed all that happened in their lives to these gods of their own fabrication, Zeus and Hermes. And so when they saw a miracle take place, they just assumed that the gods of their own imagination had done these things. They thought Zeus and Hermes made the world go round. And Paul and Barnabas, in exalting God, were basically saying there is a God who actually makes the world go around. He's the living God, and he's the one who healed this man. But in our flesh, in our human nature, the idols we have on our hearts, the false things that we worship, we ascribe all that's important to them. We think these gods make the world go around. Let me prove it right now. You guys fill in the blank with me. You should know this. Blank makes the world go round. Who said love? What's, thank you, Jeannie. You get that gold star on the felt chart this morning. What do most people say when they hear this? Thank you. Money makes the world go round. You've heard this before, haven't you? Money makes the world go round. You've never heard that? I see one head shaking. No, that's shocking. I hear this a lot. Money makes the world go round. Money makes the world go round. When we say that, when we believe that, we've made the same mistake as the people in Lystra. They thought Zeus and Hermes made the world go round. Paul and Barnabas simply exalted the living God, saying there is a God, and it's not one of our own fabrication, and it's not us. You see, they decreased themselves, and they increased, they exalted the living God. This word, I just want to... Actually, Matt, can you put the picture of the magazines back up? I just want this to be a, a, a representation of what happens in culture, what happens in our hearts. We have this tendency to worship vain things. We have this tendency to make it all about us. And I want us just to hear what Paul told the people at Lystra. I want the Holy Spirit just to speak this to us right now. Hear this now as if it's spoken to you. 
turn from these vain things. Turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. God did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and with gladness. The message of this text today is that there is a living God who makes the world go round. We will be faced with the temptation to make life or ministry or work or family all about us. And the posture of our hearts can be in alignment with John the Baptist and with Paul and, the Barn- Paul and Barnabas, where we say on a daily basis, he must increase and I must decrease. Pray this with me every day. Amen.